Let's go. Bugger off, kid. I'm talking here. Hey, folks, it's your old pal Murray Clawhammer here. And boy, do I have some good news for you. The Hey Kids Comics Podcast is moving. As of January 1st, you can find your Hey Kids Comics Podcast on the Two True Freaks feed. That's at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. Libsyn spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. I love this show. It's like drinking Earl Grey tea next to the Thames River and having scones instead of sitting in my mom's basement and drinking Dr. Pepper and and eating Little Debbie snack cakes. Anywho, thanks to some sketchily acquired photographs, Two True Freaks and Demanza Corp anticipate a long and fruitful relationship with Hey Kids Comics. And remember, come New Year's 2013, you can find your Hey Kids Comics at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. L-I-B-S-Y-N. They're British. This offer is void in the event of Mayan prophecy being accurate. Hey there, Michael. Dan DiDio here, co-publisher of DC Comics. Just wanted to tell you that none of the crises happened at all. None. Zero. Bubkiss. No crises happened. It was a five-year timeline. Damien is ten years old. Happy anniversary. This briefing is from file A56-7W. Classified top secret subject is... Hey, kids, comics! Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, we can make them better than they were before. Better... Stronger. Faster. Hello, everybody. Hello, everyone. We should make that into a song of some description, shall we? Mm. And welcome back to Hey Kids Comics. I am Andrew Leyland. I'm Michael Leyland. And we're here to talk to you about, well, kids. No, comics. comics. Yes, we don't talk about kids. No. No, that's bad. No. Jimmy Savile, bad. We don't encourage such behaviour. Yes. In any way whatsoever. Nope. No. Uh, first up, do we have a couple of bits of business this week? Yes, we know. do. Yes, we do. I, I uh, was asked to appear on Thomas Matthias's show. Tom's Eight Crazy Nights, which he does every year, where he, he invites people on and he asks them about Christmas. Sounds crazy. It's, and it was and it's over eight nights because it's Hanukkah and all that stuff. <laughs> Hanukkah and stuff. Yeah. Uh-huh. So uh, I was on that with Thomas. It was fun. You want to check that out if you can because I had a good time doing it and I thank Thomas for the invite. Uh, second bit of business tonight, Mr. Sean Engel. Thank you very very much. This episode of Hey Kids Comics is brought to you by Sean Engel. Is it? Yeah. Alright. Okay. Um, he gave us a donation. Alright. This donation, which I've yet to see. Do you, did you buy anything? Did you pay anything? Well, no, but... Well, there you go. But this is a two-man two man job. <laughs> is it? Yeah. Alright, okay. So I do all the initial outlay, but you want something in return. It's a two-man job, so I should have split the Podomatic build out in half then, shouldn't I? 
Well, no, I mean... No, no, right, I see. I see how that works. Yeah. Um, tonight we will be covering the second half of Prodigal, which is chapters 5 through 8, for those that are keeping score. Second half. Yes, the, the middle bit. <laughs> the second half of a three-part show. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> the middle third. Yeah. A trilogy in three parts. No, that's right, that, isn't it? Yeah, it a is. duology in three parts. We've done that before. Yeah. What did we do a duology in three parts for? Carnage, Carnage. Maximum Carnage. We wanted to do that in two shows, mm-hmm. and we ran out of time. And we wanted to do this in two shows, but Michael's very busy at the minute yep. with his coursework. So this has ended up being three. So I do apologise for that. I hope it doesn't... What you could do, I suppose... Let's listen to them t- together. The, the cat wants in on the show, apparently. No, uh, is just save them. all three of them. And then listen to them back to back, and then it doesn't matter how many shows it is, does it really? No. I mean, you'd have to fast forward through the ended opening credits, and the cat is, is very, very big on Prodigal. But first up, the traditional way that we begin an episode is with emails. Hey Kids 100 is the email from Charlie Neymeyer. Hello, Charlie. Oh, hey 100 kids. Oh, hey 100 kids, but nobody wants that. The sequel to Oh, She's 11. <laughs> oh. Uh, hello, lovely Laylands. Hello, lovely Charlie. Just wanted to drop a quick note to congratulate you on reaching 100 episodes. Well done. It isn't an easy achievement, and the fact that you've been able to stay weekly for so long is great. Also, thank you to Angela for allowing you guys to do the show. Also, sorry, my show got in the way of you doing a Superman Spider-Man show, as I would love to have heard you do it. I do plan to get the second one covered at some point as well, but I have no concrete plans on that. Um... You didn't get in the way, Charlie. I don't want you to feel bad or anything. It was just a case of two true freaks had done it and did a great job with it. And I was like, oh, well, I'm not going near that for a bit then. To let the memory fade. Yeah. And then we were going to do it and I discovered that you had done it just around the time that I was going to do it. And I listened to it and had the same reaction. It was like, all right, this was good. Okay, let's leave that for a bit then. And that's just the way these things work. It wasn't a case of stopping. It was just a case of, I I thought that if there is some crossover in listenership, and I don't know if there is, because we have no demographic information for this. I mean, obviously you listen, and you do your own show, so you will have heard it. But I didn't want there to be any inadvertent plagiarism. Whereas if we let it slide for a bit, I will have... plagiarism? Well, yeah. Well, and if you've not stolen it deliberately, then I, I suppose no. But this way both those shows will have receded from my memory. Yeah. So anything I do say that matches what they said will just be coincidental. Mm-hmm. So I have to let it disappear from my memory a bit. But I, I certainly think one, at least one of the Superman-Spider-Man team-ups is on tap for Superman's birthday celebration that we're going to do. Only one of them. Um, I think it would be a bit much to devote to... It would become more Spider-Man then, wouldn't it? I think I may, I may just or do Superman. one of them. You're balancing them out, so... I suppose so. But I, I have plans for Superman's birthday, don't I? Yeah. And we're going to do it well before June to beat everybody else at it. Because yeah. <laughs> that's just the way we roll. Also, since you mentioned that you were doing a bunch of Superman stuff, which I just did. Yeah. So that was an excellent segue. You did almost think we did this professionally, mm-hmm. wouldn't you? Almost. Uh, I just wanted to let you know that I have several Superman-related episodes planned for next year, so I hope they don't conflict. In fact, if they do, don't let it stop you. Given your ages and the fact that you're from a whole different part of the world, I think it would be cool to hear the differing views. Um, The current plans for Superman's birthday, which we're planning on starting around February-ish, or March-ish, we've not decided yet, of next year. We're not going to wait till June. 
no. when it was actually his birthday because we figured there will be lots of podcasts mm-hmm. around his birthday doing a Superman birthday and show. We'll just be tumbling on that. Bag yeah, bag. yeah. So if we get it out the way first, we can say we were there first. <laughs> Nobody else would have thought of doing a Superman seventy fifth birthday show if not for us. Us hipster folk. Yes, which is blatantly untrue. But yeah. we're going to get ours out the way first. Uh, our current plans call for us to do something similar to Spider Man month. But different decades. I'm thinking of doing a Superman in the 40s, Superman in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s and 90s. Maybe noughties. But you can do what you want. Okay. So I'll do a couple of stories from the 30s or 40s and then you can pick whatever you want. You don't have to fit. From the 30s or 40s? No, 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 from anywhere. You don't have to follow my, what I'm laying down. You can pick whatever the hell you want. If you want to cover just all-star Superman and all of Action Comics, that's fine. That's okay. But I will be going across the eras of the Man of Might. No, it was the Maid of Might, wasn't it? Maid of Might. The Maid of Might and the Man of Tomorrow. Right. Yeah. So that's my current plan for, for Superman. We watch us not end up doing it that way now. No. <laughs> um, anyway, got to Michael's tickling me. Anyway, I've got to get back to work, so congrats again, and here's to another 100 episodes. Charlie. And I applaud him for emailing us when he's at work. Yeah. <laughs> we, we approve of such behaviour. It's the best thing to do. It's the best thing to do. P.S. Just wanted to put the words colour and favourite somewhere to show you proper spelling. Cheers. Well, your colonial spelling amuses me. But uh, I, I wish to point out that it can't be the proper spelling because we invented the language. <laughs> but it, I, I did get a laugh out of the fact that you, you inadvertently spelt those words incorrectly. I presume it was inadvertently. Thank you very much, Charlie. Charlie does a number of podcasts. Superman in the Bronze Age was the one where I heard him talk about Superman and Spider-Man teaming up. Mm-hmm. And they're very, very good. Was that in the Bronze Age? Yes. It was deep into the Bronze Age. Yeah. Our next email is from Johnny Freiburg. Hi, Johnny. Hello. Simply titled Episode 100. Hey, y'all. I wonder if he's from the South as well. Oh, we no. get a lot of y'alls, don't we? Maybe just like saying y'all. Yes. I say y'all. Do you? Yeah. I say it when I read emails, obviously. Oh, yeah. Firstly, congratulations on 100 episodes of Supremely Fine Podcasting. Well, it's very kind of you to say that, Johnny. I don't know that it was 100 episodes of Supremely (laughs) Fine Podcasting, but we will take the compliment because it was the 100th episode. Yeah. So thank you very much. Not many shows make it this far. I couldn't go seven without a year and a long ha- a year and a half long hiatus. But anyways, good job. Your show is informative and entertaining every week. Kevin Smith. No, Kevin Smith actually maintains a reasonably reasonable podcasting track record. It's not comic or No, well, basically, for a podcast, all you've got to do is talk. Yeah. And Kevin Smith seems to be able to do that with the minimum of effort. On the toilet. On the toilet, yeah. So, uh, Thank you for those kind words, Johnny. I enjoyed what you call the self-indulgent portion of the show. I was hoping that that went down <laughs> moderately well. I always like to hear the behind-the-scenes goings-on of a podcast and learn more about the people I'm listening to. I guess that's one of the reasons why I like Michael Bailey. No, I like Michael Bailey because he's a nice guy. Yeah. <laughs> I presume you do as well. That was me just being, you know, pithy. Andy, you said... I would do, that sounded a bit weird, didn't it? Andy. Andy. Andy's game, which is like Ender's game, which was a novel. Anyway, um, Johnny's email continues. Andy, you said you didn't like, or in fact hated, Uncanny Avengers number one. May I ask why? You can ask. I found it... No, I was just quoting Star Trek 2, though. Uh, I found it fairly enjoyable, says Johnny Freeberg. Not great, but not awful. Kind of wondering why were you so fervently against it. Um, I was fervently against it because I didn't feel that it was as advertised. 
Marvel have took many, many pot shots, have they not, at the new 52. Yes. And to be fair, DC did wipe away the complete continuity, which is not what Marvel have done in this particular Marvel instance. Just continued with the new status quo. But Marvel have basically said that we're not throwing anything away, but Marvel now will be a place that new or lapsed readers can jump onto... Yeah. And it won't matter. You will be everything you need to know will be given to you in that issue. Yeah. And I felt Uncanny Avengers was not that because it was an epilogue. It was an epilogue to Avengers vs X Men, wasn't it? Yeah. It was a prologue to what he plans to do with the book. It was not a story. Mm-hmm. It was a bit of a story. It was a sliver of a story. It was or the pre-credit sequence to an episode of something. As much grief as we gave Justice League, it was still... It was, at least it was a new beginning. Title, which was new, yeah. Yes, it wasn't a particularly good one. But it was... Well, but it was, what? you could read that having never read the Justice League before, more or less. Yeah. There was a few instances that we, we picked up on. And that's been a, like that across the board with the new 52. Mm-hmm. Even the ones like Green Lantern and Batman that have made you scratch your head and go, this isn't a new continuity. Or, How the hell have there been four Robins in five years? You could still pick up number one and go from there and it's not mattered. Mm-hmm. Uncanny Avengers was an epilogue to a previous storyline that I hadn't read yeah. and a prologue to a bunch of issues that I have no interest in reading. There was nothing in it that made me think, wow, that was good. And it almost soured me on Marvel now completely. Because really? if the first book out of the gate was a blatant lie, yeah. then are the rest of them going to be? And the art was very stiff. John Cassidy. Well, I quite liked John Cassidy, but it, it was just dull yeah. and boring. And Rick Remainder apparently has a huge following, and I'm like, on the strength of this, why? But I did pick up the little freebie issue. Yeah. Did you read that, that I, I picked I've up at Twin Planet? Yeah. That had the I first couple the of pages. Yes, Why? Because it's Maria Hill and Agent Coulson having a conversation. And then next is a really good splash page of the Hulk. Two-page splash page, wasn't yeah, it? but the dialogue in it is... It's a continuation of a previous conversation that didn't happen because they'd obviously cut loads of pages out of the preview. Oh, right. Okay, see, I just looked at the pretty art in that one because the only one I was on board for was the Hulk because Matt yeah. Ward's writing it. But that little, that little preview comic made me think, well, Captain America looks interesting. And Captain America looks good. Because it's a complete... 180 degree turn from what Brubecker was doing. Yeah. Well, he was essentially doing 24 with superheroes, wasn't he? Mm -hmm. Um, And the Fantastic Four stuff looked interesting, even though I am not a believer that the Fantastic Four really needs two books. Well, it's two different teams. I know, but still. See, it goes like Fantastic Four, FF, Fantastic Four. There's going to be a crossover at some point, isn't there? Well, it it is, because I flipped through. Fantastic Four if you want it said to be continued in FF so I'm not interested in that then if I've got to pick up two books straight out of the gate I'm not interested Uh, and oddly Bendis' all new X-Men I was interested in because it was the five originals and I actually thought this this is actually an intriguing idea so I'll I'll, I'll pick up Hulk and Captain America I'm on the fence with Bendis' X-Men and I'm on the fence with Fantastic Four but as a whole, I didn't think that Uncanny Avengers was as advertised, and that's why I felt that it was a bit naff. I hope that answers your question, Johnny. Uh, on to the issues. Continues Johnny's email. The Dark Knight Zero issues really stood out to me. The idea of Bruce being unable to handle it, being a random act of violence, really clicked. Oh, and thanks for adding to the dirtiness of a teenage boy's mind. I had no idea what Pearl Necklace meant, (laughs) and not knowing that, I found the moment very powerful. Well, it should have been. That was the point we were trying to make. And having that particular phrase gutted the moment. I want to say that it isn't an American term. 
And that's how I got in. And that's how it got in, sorry. But perhaps I've just not heard of it. Also, you said Chuck Dixon was underrated. I wouldn't consider Chuck Dixon underrated. That's not me saying he's not good. I think he's a fantastic writer. What I mean to say is that I hear lots of internet praise from him and knew his name even before reading anything he'd written. Um, what I mean by he's underrated, in my opinion, is he's never on the list of top ten Batman writers, and I think he should be. And his stories are never in the best Batman stories ever, and I think some of them should be. Yeah. Well, there isn't room for him in the top ten writers. Alan Moore takes up nine of them. Oh. <laughs> Um, and there's also the thing that he was writing it when it was crossover mania, wasn't he? Yeah. So he's kind of stuck that he wrote chapter four of Nightfall and then chapter eight of Nightfall yeah. and, and so on and so forth. But I I think he's up there with Denny O'Neill and Steve Englehart as a Batman writer. But that's just my opinion. Well, happy 100 episodes and a happy 100 more. Hugs and pearl necklaces. Johnny Freak, we don't want your pearl necklace. Please. <laughs> but we appreciate you writing in and saying that uh, uh, you enjoyed the show. So thank you very much, Johnny. Johnny does two podcasts, How to Make a Geek in 60 Minutes, and From Yellow to Red, a Daredevil podcast. And he thanks us for playing the promo. You're very welcome. I've said before, if you do a show and you want to send us a promo, we'll play it. Mm-hmm. It's as simple as that. It doesn't even have to be a comic book show. <laughs> okay. We'll play your promo. Our next email if I can actually get the inbox to come back up, is from Tom Panarese. Hello, Tom, who's taking flight podcast is great. Hmm. Hello, Leylands, and congratulations on 100 episodes. Thank you, Tom. I wish I could say that I've been there since the beginning, but I haven't because I came in with your Nightfall coverage. But thanks to two true freaks, I'm getting your old episodes in reruns and just finished your look at The Empire Strikes Back. I have to say that it's all very fun and I'm glad that I get a chance to hear episodes I would otherwise have missed. Yes, thank you to Scott and Chris, especially Chris, who did the bumper you heard at the beginning of the show. Or rather, I should say, he got in touch with Maury Clawhammer, who recorded us that bumper at the beginning of the show. So thank you, Maury, for taking the, the time out of your busy schedule to record us that. Tom's email continues. Your coverage of Batman through Zero Hour, Zero Month, and Zero Month 2, The Secret of the Ooze, was <laughs> was fantastic as usual. Thank you very much. I read the Batman Zero Hour or Zero Month issues in nearly... Oh, sorry, I haven't read the Batman Zero Hour or Zero Month issues in nearly 20 years, but your recap reminded me how much fun the Zero Hour stories were and how disappointed I was with Zero Month. That's pretty much what we felt, wasn't it? Mm. Zero Hour as a story isn't particularly good. Yes, it had a big bad villain who was trying to remake the universe, and there are major changes to some characters, but the main series was just so underwhelming. The crossovers, however, for for the most part, excellent. Tim Drake fighting alongside a younger Dick Grayson, Batman seeing his parents alive, the return of Barbara Gordon as Batgirl, and the appearance of Alfred Beagle were fun and entertaining at the time, and it sounds like they are still just as fun today. I do have to say, though, I would have liked to have heard your thoughts on that month's issue of Superman the Man of Steel, as it features John Bogdanov drawing several different versions of Batman from his first appearance (laughs) to his look in The Dark Knight Returns. I remember absolutely loving that story when it came out, and it was one of the few times I liked Bogdanov's work. Yes, it was a lot of fun. And I would like to say that we didn't cover that, because from Crisis to Crisis we'll be covering it very soon, and they're going to give full courage to Zero Hour, and we didn't want to tread on any toes. Hi, Mike and Jeff. Yes, I would like to say that, but I completely forgot about that issue of Man of Steel. Yeah. Otherwise, we would probably have covered it. Because essentially, it is a Batman story, isn't it? Mm -hmm. In many ways. And it's just so full of great B 
bits of Bogdanov aping other artists' styles. Yeah. And it's brilliant. It's a really good issue. And Warren Ellis totally didn't rip it off. And Warren Ellis totally didn't rip it off. And when Tom emailed in with that, I was like, oh! But Celebi, you know... All that effort, we go into preparation, and, and we did put a fair bit of effort into the 100th ship. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. And we forget something like that. Schoolboy error. That was not funny. Well, it wasn't. You just made me a mag jump. What by doing do? Yes. Sorry about that, love. Even the cat. Tom's email continues, as for the changes brought to the Batman universe by Zero Hour, I agree with you that not having Batman track down Joe Till was both unnecessary and disappointing. Joe Till. Joe Till. Yes, he's like Joe Till, only he runs a convenience store. He's like Joe Till. (laughs) He's exactly like Joe Till. Joey Till. (laughs) That's his name. Hey, I'm under Till, man. You give me some change. That's him. Okay. That's what he sounds like. And Joe Till... And Joe Till gives eyes to people, yeah. Chill out. He works in McDonald's. The sound of your chilling doom. I don't think so. Does he work in McDonald's? He does, and he puts the ice in people's drinks, and we're like, but I don't want ice from it, so if you get nice. Uh-huh. Or I'll kill your parents yeah. over a pearl necklace. Tom's <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> email continued. In fact, if you ask me, the Zero Issues are the perfect opportunity to, to explore that story. The post-crisis version of Bruce Wayne facing off against Joe Chill in Batman Year 2 was pretty disappointing, and seemed like an add-on to an otherwise great story, although it was somewhat rescued by Batman Full Circle. So if the Bat-Writers had spent four Zero Issues working their way through a story that involved Batman actually finding his parents' killers, and bringing them to justice in a way that was both modern and a callback to the Class and Golden Age story, then maybe it wouldn't have seemed like there was so much filler. Not that it matters now, anyway. No, that's true. That's, that's a good idea, that time. That would have been four issues of quite interesting story, that. Mm-hmm. Having him track down Joe Chill. Robin Zero issue is strong and a great prologue to Prodigal. I'm sorry to say that I'm not entirely sure when Dick's relationship with Bruce Wayne was retconned to be a full adoption. It probably was, like you said, something Devon Grayson did, but I never read Gotham Knight, so I can't be sure when it did happen or really why. It honestly seems like some kind of unnecessary, as the reason that Bruce Wayne only took Dick Grayson in as his ward was because he didn't want him to feel he was going to replace his deceased father. After all, Dick Grayson was not the post-crisis Jason Todd, whose father was one of Two-Face's goons. So that worked. I can see that if a legal complication arose wherein Bruce Wayne had to adopt Dick in order to maintain custody, then the adoption would make sense. But like I said, I've never read the actual story and I don't think my look at Robin and Nightwing will go that far. Michael Bailey might know, however. Yeah, if anybody knows, let us know. Because to me, it always made sense that they did adopt Dick. Hmm. Even if he isn't trying to replace his father, which he wouldn't be, it just made sense that he would adopt him as his own. Because then he's legally... Everything goes to Dick if something happens to Bruce, doesn't it? Yeah. So it's it just made sense to me. I've not been reading the bat books of the New 52, although your talk of pearl necklaces in the mainstream DC universe definitely has me intrigued. <laughs> Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> Fifty Shades of Bruce Wayne. That's Fifty it. Shades of the Bat. Fifty Shades of the Batman. <laughs> Written by Catwoman. <laughs> Oh, me. In all seriousness, I haven't read a main bat book in years, and I'm right now only reading Nightwing and Batwoman, and I may stop Nightwing. While your reviews aren't making you want to go out and spend more money on them, don't worry, because they were still fun. And I think your singing Joy Division made them better. Joy Division makes anything better. In fact, if you'd like to add more singing, perhaps you can have the full family gather around the mic like the Von Traps and sing Do Re Mi for the 200th episode. <laughs> I don't know that the rest of the family would go for that, but I'm certainly open to it. All kidding and references to Julie Andrews' films aside, well, if we're talking pearl necklaces, we could reference the film where Julie Andrews takes her top off. I have really enjoyed your show week in and week out. I cannot wait to hear what you have to say about Prodigal. Take care and best wishes, Tom. Well, thank you very much, Tom. Uh, I hope you're enjoying what we're doing with Prodigal so far. I know I'm enjoying it. 
Our next email is from Bobby Coakley that just says, Catching a chill, finding a secret, building a mini cave. Hello, Leyland. Hello, Bobby. I loved your 100th episode where you discussed the importance of catching Joe Chill to the Batman mythos. Tim Drake being a know-it-all and the start of Prodigal. In the following, I used the term unbearable prat six times, just so you know. Zero hours Joe Chill never got caught made Batman too much of an unbearable prat, especially to other superheroes. To me, the Batman is an unbearable prat era started after Zero Hour, and I linked it to Chill never getting caught. Jeff Johns may have felt the same way as Infinite Crisis 7 has Alexander Luthor saying in the New Earth history, Joe Chill was caught. And post-Infinite Crisis, DC started dialing down Batman as an unbearable prat. Next, the New Zero month had Joe Chill as an ordinary criminal instead of a hired assassin working for Lou Moxon, pre-crisis, or the Court of Owls, New 52 theory, or Lionel Luther, Smallville producer's idea when they considered using Bruce Wayne. I think that once Bruce finds out Joe Chill acted alone, he realised he didn't really want to be a conspiracy of somebody else's fault. He just wanted it to be okay, and then he knew it never would be. The story in Detective Comics Zero 2012 seemed to be Bruce Wayne realising you can't trust people. They'll only hurt you. Which can lead to Bruce thinking, so you'd better plan on hurting them first. Which can lead to Batman is an unbearable prat. You see, we took from that that all women are bad. Yeah. <laughs> As you said, Tim Drake being a know-it-all sometimes gets on your nerves. Once the whole Batman is an urban legend element was added after Zero, that meant Tim found out Bruce Wayne was Batman and most people weren't sure Batman even existed. Which can be really annoying if you think about it too long. That's actually quite a valid point, isn't yeah. it? But at least Tim isn't an unbearable prat. Or he wasn't. He probably is in the new 52. I'm looking forward to your review of Prodigal. If you're curious, in No Man's Land Zero 1999, it was revealed Bruce spent that time away building mini-caves around Gotham City. Spending time building bat stuff might be how Bruce Wayne does intense introspection. So he won't be such an unbearable prat. Good work as usual, Bobby C. Well, thank you, Bobby. It raised some interesting points. We've got No Man's Land as the trade paperbacks, but Volume 4's not out yet, so I've not read them, because I'm waiting till I've got them all. They probably, I think they include everything, these new trades, don't they? As far as I know. Our final email tonight, The Marriage of Peter and Murray Jane, or Why Can't Sal Buscema's Characters Get Regular? It's by, it's from, sorry, not by, although I suppose it's by, Chris. Chris Keith. Hi, Chris. Greetings, Leyland's. I am two-thirds of the way through your journey down the Maximum Carnage story, and wow, does this mini-epic bring back memories. Bad memories. I'd forgotten over the years what a bad story this journey really ended up being. I'd recently jumped back on the bandwagon of Spider-Man in the late 90s, and I'd tracked down this um, classic piece by piece. Rather than focus on bashing it, I want to address two points that you mentioned in part two. Sal Busama, while I guess that I can appreciate his consistency on the book, I have to admit I just don't like his art. The character designs are okay, I guess, but it's the faces. Everyone's face looks the same, and all of them have that same strained, I just really need a laxative look about them. <laughs> I've been reading all of my Spider-Man goodness, and up to the 350s right now. I was just funny to see Savvy McFarlane and later Larson's portrayal of Peter and Mary Jane compared to Buscema. Sal has her looking very 70s with the straight her, and of course constipation, whilst the other two at least acknowledge that the character has changed somewhat in 20 years. I should mention that Larson drives me crazy with his Peter Parker. He looks like he's 13 in virtually every issue. Peter just looks like a guy when drawn by Sal, not even a hint of the longish hair that the other books gave him. I know that he was on the book forever, but his run was never my favourite. It doesn't help that Bagley just took over Amazing that I'm reading. The combination of the pencils and the vibrant colours makes Spectacular look, well, unspectacular. See, I didn't like Sal as a kid, and I grew to like him later on, but I take your point about his faces. But I think that's a problem with a lot of artists. Steve Dillon draws essentially the same face, yeah, doesn't he? And it's only the colouring that makes his characters look different. It, still, it doesn't mean he's a bad artist. 
the marriage. Okay, here's where I want to partially take issues with you, Andy, and your statement that the writers did not know how to handle a marriage. I'll agree that Jerry Conway didn't, but I've always thought that Conway really mailed in his early 90s run on Spectacular and Web. I think that's... I'm editorialising it. I think that's because at that point Conway was working on Father Dowling Investigates on TV and the comics were a sideline. And then he packed in doing the comics completely to do TV stuff. So it, it's possible. I wouldn't say mailing it in, but he's possibly he wasn't devoting as much time to it as he did in the early 70s. Mary Jane even has a whiny, what about my needs bit? While A, all including the readers think that Aunt May has six months to live. B, Christy the Neist has, a deceasing, has an eating disorder. And C, Joe Robertson is in prison. And D, Pete probably has separated shoulder every other issue along with a concussion, lacerated kidney, etc. Oh yeah, Conway has a uh, whining because she isn't the centre of attention. She's out partying thinking about cheating on Peter. And oh yeah, she's out partying. Apparently Jerry couldn't shift out of the 70s. MJ, uh, 70s MJ, and realised that the character had actually matured. He could have, I don't know, read David Michelini's Amazing. In that book, they're a good couple, dealing with Jonathan Caesar, kidnapping Mary Jane, losing the apartment, etc. You really get a sense that Michelini knew how to write the part, and I especially enjoyed the fact that he ignored the stereotypical character Kirsty in her eating disorder. She's almost completely absent from the book. Yeah, you could read Amazing at that point and not read Spectacular and it wouldn't matter. Conway's Telegraph stereotypical writing has been a beating to me, and I felt like coming up for it when I finish his epic Logo Brothers chameleon story arc. And uh, by epic, I mean boring. When you have the choice between Tombstone and the Logo Brothers, you almost pray for McFarlane's writing. Alright, maybe you don't. I think the biggest problem with the books of this era was that they went their separate ways. The continuity was lacking at times. The McFarlane books could occur at any time. And let's be honest, he wasn't exactly furthering plot. And it seemed that Conway's Peter was in a completely different universe than Michelini. I would rather have been in Michelini's. I started to jot down stuff I don't like about Conway, but then felt like I was picking on the guy. I'm not sure that he meant... I'm sure that he meant well, but I wanted to cheer when they got rid of Nick Katzenberg, even clicheing up the cancer to get MJ to stop smoking. Not sure if Conway was still on the book at this point, but it was his character creation, a dumpy Harvard bullet rip-up without the film taste. This guy climbs his fat ass on top of Peter and Mary Jane's skylight, snaps a picture of Peter in his costume, because apparently Conway missed the Spider-Sense memo, and Joe Robertson balls him out for putting on the costume for an ad in the paper. Let me repeat, Peter is the bad guy for dressing up in a costume in his own house because a freako jumps onto the roof to snap a picture? The naked portfolio of Mary Jane that Katzenberg took was apparently not discussed, and was carefully concealed in Joe's drawer. In summary, hooray Michelini. Yet Michelini did a better job of it, because Michelini got to write them as newlyweds, which is essentially writing them as single, because when you're a newlywed, everything's still shiny and new, and he did a decent enough job of that. I think the further you got into it, they did start doing an awful lot of what we saw in Maximum Carnage, and what you yourself, Chris, just mentioned in that email. A lot of Peter goes out being Spider-Man, some Murray Jane goes out dancing. And it got repetitive and boring. And yet at no point did the pair of them seem to have a sit-down heart-to-heart as a man and wife would do. It just carried on doing the same thing. Because even though they were married, they didn't want to cancel the book. Which is where the clone saga came from. Getting rid of the marriage, as I keep saying many, many times, de-aging Peter Parker was not exclusively a Joe Quesada idea. People at Marvel were trying to do it a long time before that because marrying Peter and Murray Jane was Jim Shooter's edict when he was editor-in-chief at Marvel. It was not a creative decision. It was not a decision that the Spider-Man writers came up with at one of these creative summits. Jim Shooter said, there's publicity to be had here because Stan's marrying him in the newspaper strip, so we're going to do it in the comics. And the sad thing is, within six months, Shooter was gone from Marvel, but that decision 
affected the Spider-Man books and not for the better for the best part of two decades because once they were married they didn't know how to undo it or do anything with them whereas my argument is once he's married he would stop being Spider-Man certainly once they've had children but that's my opinion sorry I'm rambling not as much as I do so I wouldn't worry about it it's been a nice trip down memory lane and I'll be to this epic in my reading in a few weeks but the lead up to the return of Peter's parents always felt like the beginning of the end yes yes it did after they reappeared the dog was allowed to reveal himself on the page for a while and we get quality spider side shriek etc looking forward to episode 100 this weekend thanks for your continued excellent Chris Keith no thank you for emailing in Chris I appreciate your comments and that's it for emails this week just over the 30 minute mark which is what we like so we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with prodigal part two internet is really really great for guy gardner podcast i've got a fast connection so i don't have to wait for guy gardner podcasts there's always some new site for guy gardner podcasts i browse all day and night for guy gardner podcasts it's like i'm surfing at the speed of light for guy gardner podcasts the internet is for guy gardner podcasts the internet is for and sometimes kyle rayner podcasts why you think the net was born guy gardner podcasts just one of the guys is a weekly internet radio show dedicated to bringing you reviews commentary and a heartfelt defense of the characters of guy gardner and kyle rayner the two earth-based green lanterns who always seem to get dumped on over the next several years, I will be covering the Green Lantern books from cover date June 1990 until cover date November 2004. I'll also be covering the Guy Gardner solo series, as well as any other media that catches my fancy. The show can be found on iTunes by searching for Just One of the Guys podcast, or by going to the website justoneoftheguys.libsyn.com. So be sure to tune in every Friday for a fun-filled look at the Green Lantern Corps, hosted by me, Sean Ingle. It's just as enjoyable as the search for the subject that this song is actually about. Internet is for internet is for internet is for just one of the guys dot libson dot com. Yeah. Just one of the guys does not officially certify that this podcast is more enjoyable than pornography. And we're back. I'm happy to be here. Mm-hmm. Are you happy to be here? I'm happy. You seem very tired tonight. I'm very tired tonight. Yeah, yeah. very tired tonight. Well, we've only four issues to cover. Because of the coursework malarkey that goes on. The second leg of Prodigal kicked off on the December 94 cover dated comics with Batman 513, actually released on October 11th, 1994. The cover by Mike Manley has Two Face using a chainsaw to hack in half a Batman costume, grinning maniacally as he does. Ignoring the fact that you simply can't cut cloth like this with a chainsaw unless both sides have some support, not just the left hand as shown here, it's a pretty good cover. Two-Face is one of the best visuals in comics and always makes for a good look. Manly doesn't quite pull off the grotesque half of Two-Face's mush, but the chainsaw coming right out the cover at the reader makes for a nifty 3D effect. Did you like that cover, Michael? Well, I had the same problems with the chainsaw thing that you did. Yeah, there's, there's, you couldn't cut it like that. But now, I've read, but now I've seen like Phil Jimenez's Two-Face, everything else just doesn't cut it anymore. Phil Jimenez's Two-Face is very, very good. Uh, Double Deuce was written by Doug Munch, penciled by Mike Gustovich, inked by Romeo Tanghal, with thanks to Rick Burkett, lettered by Ken Bruzenak, and coloured by Adrian Roy. It was assistant edited by Jordan Bigot Finkel. Yeah. 
Denny O'Neill was the editor and the Batman was created by Bob Kane. With the memories of his previous encounters with Two-Face still rattling around in his brain, the new Batman confronts Two-Face yet again. Two-Face holds all the aces, however, and threatens the DA's employees. He makes a grab for the disc they came for and escapes, but not before noting that this Batman has the same haunted look on his face that Robin had all those years ago. Two-Face takes the disc and runs the program, but as ever, the decision rests with the coin. Scramble the entire system and let the innocent become guilty, or the guilty become innocent. Or try to repair the broken system that allowed a clerical error to let him free. Vengeance or rehabilitation? The coin gives up its answer. Vengeance. Two-Face hits the enter key. With the program running, the system breaks. Prison transfers are overloaded with people who have not yet stood trial, and the transfer buses already fit to bursting snap under the strain. With too many crooks and not enough cops, a bus loaded with Blackgate crims is taken over by the crooks, and in the process crashed into a cinema house. With the cops already on the way, the crooks take hostages and Gordon arrives. Tear gas and a SWAT team are ordered, but even though the crooks only have the one shotgun that was on the bus, they promise one cinema patron killed every ten minutes unless they are released. The Batman arrives and he and Robin make the scene, taking out the crooks and disappearing themselves as the tear gas explodes. Back in the cave, Robin makes clear the full extent of Two-Face's cyber-terrorism as he and the Batman wait for his next move. Did you like this issue as a whole? Because it just it's just me going into my notes otherwise. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're, with a lot of these are quite hit and miss. Yes. Yeah. They are. Um, page one. There is a minor continuity goof with Robin Eleven. Mm-hmm. Did you read this back to back and notice this? Uh, no, I didn't. Uh, as the backup generators kick in, Batman turns off his night vision lenses because his eyes are green. Mm-hmm. when the night vision's activated. But he didn't turn them on in Robin 11. So he just had them on in between? Yeah, things. all of a sudden they just appear and he turns them off. Now, I'm more, I suspect, that it was a colouring goof in Robin 11 mm. than a mistake here, because they do actually have him go... as they turn them off. Yeah. So I suspect the end of Robin 11 should have had his eyes coloured green to show that he had his night vision lenses in. Or maybe... Doug Munch just wrote it in here even though uh, Chuck Dixon Chuck didn't, Dixon, didn't yeah I suppose so it's possible we, we, I suppose we'll never know whose mistake that was uh, on pages 2 through 3 the DA's office has a really terribly badly organised filing system doesn't it mm-hmm. it's got reams and reams of computer printout that are just stacked up a clear 7 or 8 feet high not only is this a god awful way to file but the paper wouldn't stay stood up like this if you've ever stacked up a pile of comics yeah. You know that it goes, what, 15, 20 issues high before it falls over. So there's no way this amount of paper would go that high. Health and safety would shut the place down, wouldn't they? You'd have two officious looking health and safety bods with clipboards going, oh, well, looking at sector 47.3, paragraph 4, you cannot stack paper more than four centimetres high, so we would have to close the entire facility. <laughs> totally what would happen. Right. Did you like my health and safety man voice? Uh, did, did, did you have health and safety in the 90s? I, I think it was just starting to rear its ugly head. So people were losing the fun back Health then. and safety, ruining fun since 1977. <laughs> yeah. The Health and Safety at Work Act came in in 1974, I think. Right. 
but people only really started taking notes of it in the 80s and 90s and now it's just bloody everywhere yeah. you can't sneeze now without that somebody health and safety, yeah, health and safety saying use a tissue and you have to be careful when you do that because you can pull a bone mm-hmm. you pull a muscle you put it in a designated bin as well yeah just, huh. didn't have health and safety when I was a kid uh, and I drove my bike into the rivers <laughs> and had rope swings and everything you're not allowed stuff like that anymore you're not even allowed roundabouts is that why they've taken rid yeah, of them Yeah, they have taken roundabouts out of children's playgrounds. They, they still have some of them, but it's the padded... Wait, yeah, the floor has floor, to be that yeah. padded, foamy floor, doesn't it? Yeah. Part of the fun of a roundabout was falling off. <laughs> cracking your head open. Well, that wasn't fun. <laughs> but, you know... Well, it was funny if you weren't the person... It was, it was funny if you weren't the person that cracked your head, yes. Because yeah. people falling is funny. It is. It just is. Yeah. As long as they don't get hurt. Um, uh, the art's very Pat Broderick... In places, you probably don't know who Pat Broderick is, do you? No. He was a 70s and 80s artist. Um, and Two-Face gets away on page five because they took the bad train to Gotham. Which I thought was pretty funny. And Two-Face leaves them at the station because they didn't have the Batmobile, he gets away. And which yeah, is quite funny. When Gene Paul was Batman... Even even though we used the battery and the Batmobile was still on the bridge, when Batmobile was it. always only needed yeah. it, wasn't it? They didn't didn't really think that through, did they? No. Mm. In the flashback on the panel, um, well, in the flashback panel on page six, the ropes are hanging from is in the shape of Robin's mask. They are. I wonder if there were supposed to be two eyes in there. Because that's what he's. Oh no! But Robin's there. But yeah. that's his mask in a panicked facial. Yeah. Person. Oh, yeah, that's very weird that I hadn't noticed that. Because it doesn't look like the hangman's noose that they're hanging from in the issue, does it? No. Very strange. Yeah, it's very odd indeed. Um, the Bruce Tim scenes in this issue don't say anything new. Hmm. Um, it's just talk about, wow, Dick, you can cook and clean hey, and look Luke, after yourself. Got orange juice in the fridge. And we have orange juice in the fridge. Which is a different colour than everything else in the fridge. Yeah, that's fortunate. Mm. And it's all very, oh, I wonder how the hell this man who lives alone can cope by himself. Gosh, how do you ever live without an Alfred? And you're just like, you're just sat there thinking, how upper class <laughs> are these people? Yeah. You can't survive without the butler? Do you think that Two-Face... Has, has <laughs> I know where you're going designated with Designated places to stand <laughs> so that the line with the two colours of paint line up perfectly with the lines on his suit. Yeah, because this is a throwback. Um, in many two-face appearances, his apartment or his hideout is decorated half-half, isn't it? Yeah. And he's always stood right in the middle. So you think he's got a line down the <laughs> yeah. middle and he's got X's on the floor where he puts his feet so yeah. he's spot on in the middle of it. <laughs> I do like the idea that he does that. <laughs> X's on the floor. Yeah, he just does that. So if I put this foot here and this foot here, I am right dead centre in the middle. I do wonder about the guy who sat at the computer. He's yeah. half of it a PC and half of it a Mac, and therefore <laughs> it never works. Because yeah. they're always too busy squabbling with each other. Um, the silent fight scene in the last couple of pages is very well done. Batman bursts into the office and takes them all down in about two pages with no witty repartee. Which, um... Dick Grayson used to do an awful lot of the smart mouth gags when he yeah. was Robin, but he doesn't seem to be doing that as Batman. He keeps his mouth shut, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Which was interesting. Um, but the bottom line is this issue is a placeholder. Isn't yeah. it? Pure and simple. It's by no means a bad placeholder, unless you disagree with me. Um, I didn't enjoy it all that much. Um, yeah, I thought it was entertaining in its own way. 
There's nothing in this issue we haven't seen before, with the exception of Two-Face executing both his plan and the gang member who asked him too many questions. We've seen Dick fret about confronting Two-Face. We've seen Tim try to console him. We've seen that Dick's a capable cook and laundry man and he's fixing up the manor. We've seen Gordon disapproving of the third Batman. And the action scene in the cinema, despite it being wordless and well executed, is still nothing new. What is new is Two-Face realising that Robin, that was, is now the Batman, which was a clever twist I thought, so his vengeance is now aimed at Batman and not Robin, because by killing the one, he gets the other. None of these limitations are in any way a flaw, really, rather, this is just how comics were written back then. And it's easy to see the pros and cons of these multi-arc stories back then, where you get a full, satisfying read, but at the expense of some repetition, if you read all the comics in that family. Versus now, where you feel like you haven't got a full meal for your money in single issues... But when you read it as a gestalt entity in trade paperback or whatever, it's a more pleasurable read. Mm. Like I say, it was, it was a good issue. I didn't dislike it, but Doug Mensch always seems to get the short end of the stick with these crossovers, doesn't he? Yeah. He's either telling a story that doesn't advance the overall arc plot in any way, and therefore can be dismissed and isn't interesting, or he's just telling us stuff we already know if we've read the other issues. Yeah. Didn't it feel like that one in his Nightfall and Night's Quest issues as well? Yeah. It was his issues that we were like, oh. And it's nothing against Doug Mensch, because he's not a bad writer. It's just he isn't given the best. Yeah, issues. he doesn't seem to get given the best material mm. in these. I don't know why. Prodigal Part 6 was in Shadow of the Bat 33, and as such features the other half of last month's cover by Brian Stelfreeze. Again, it's awesome, and plays side-by-side with last month's cover makes a pretty decent poster. This half has Robin leaping over Gotham, and the silver dollar falls in the background. Alfred makes a disembodied head appearance, and the two-face half of Harvey appears on the left-hand side. As with most Shadow of the Bat stories, there's no subtitle. But it came out on October 18th, 1994. It was by Alan Grant, Brett Blevins, letter was Todd Klein, and colorist was Adrienne Roy. Shadow of the Bat falls upon Prodigal Part 6. Prodigal Part 6, yes. Oh, we didn't cover the ads in Detective Comics 503. No, Let's just quickly cover the ads in 503 before we go to Shadow of the Bat. Um, Star Trek Generations came out on the 18th of the 11th, 94. Boldly go. He needs a boldly go to watch that. Um, it's not a bad poster, though. It's the teaser poster yeah. of the Enterprise just warping through the Starfleet sim- symbol, which was, was quite, quite, it's quite a good poster. It's not a very good film, but it's quite a good poster. Superman Doomsday, or the Death and Return of Superman video game. Uh, Skybox Man of Steel trading cards. There's no Double Dragon came out, which I think we mentioned last week. Yeah, I think none of these, I don't think any of these adverts are really very different, are they? From last time. So we'll... Deathstroke's body is missing. Slade Wilson's corpse disappears from City Morgue. Alright. When did he die? Um, I don't know, but he got better. Apparently so. Okay. Uh, the letters page was interesting, and the, yeah, there was, there's no new adverts in that. Maybe that's why I didn't write a note to cover the adverts. Possibly. On to Shadow of the Bat 33, which we've already mentioned has a great cover. Um, at Gotham City... Oh, this has an advert for Earth 2 on the inside front cover, which I've never watched. But it's a nice piece of art. Who's, who's the artist, though? It looks very Struzan. It is. It's Drew Struzan, isn't it? Well spotted, that, map. It's very Star Wars, isn't it? Um, sorry. Uh, Shadow of the Bat 33. At Gotham City Police Department HQ, Gordon once again is being hassled by Murkrow. And Gordon tells him if he stopped attending meetings and got back to work, maybe he could stop Two-Face. 
Stopping Two-Face this time over is proving problematic, as his usual M.O., crimes with a dual motif, isn't panning out. This is causing consternation, not least to Two-Face himself, who isn't enjoying this caper half as much as he thought he would. See what I did there? Very funny. There is a sense of balance to consider. Considering this, Two-Face locates Harvey Kent, who was finally released despite the paperwork snafu, and Two-Face wants them to be soul brothers. Check it out now. The Funk Soul Brother. Check it out now. The Funk Soul Brother. There's that singing. Bit of Fat Boy Slim, again. Wish you were him in a bit recently, huh? He should start paying us. He should. He should give us royalties, shouldn't he? Or he should sue us for butchering his song. What? Uh, Balance is much on the mind of Warden Zerhard at Blackgate. With no more room to take in extra prisoners, plus the Arkham inmates already in lockup, tensions are high. I predict a riot! God, the singing's high tonight. Mm -hmm. My prediction comes true. Al's unable to feed all the inmates. Trouble breaks out, resulting in the inmates overrunning the guards and manning the towers. Opening fire, Zerhard manages to get out a warning before being gunned down. The balance of power is also in question at Wayne Enterprises, with Bruce still on medical leave. I need to say that again. The balance of power... And not the balance of power... The balance of power is also in question at Wayne Enterprises with Bruce still on... I did it again. There's a full stop there, Andrew. The balance of power is also in question at Wayne Enterprises. Full stop. Thank you. With Bruce still on medical leave, Lucius is handling an inquiry from a particular odious man representing the Troika Corporation, offering the old protection scam. Thrown out for his troubles, Mr. Ignotov guns down the security men as he leaves in his limo, saying that it'll just have to be done the hard way. Presumably it will involve Michael J. Fox and James Woods going oh piece of candy, oh piece of candy oh piece of candy. You never seen the hard way? No. James Woods is a hard bitten tough cop who does things his own way, don't take no guff from anyone. Michael J. Fox is an actor researching a role Okay. He gets partnered with James Woods. Hilarity ensues. That, this sounds like a... It's actually not a bad little film, because yeah. Michael J. Fox is a pretty decent comedy actor. So it's it's actually worth watching the hardware. Okay. Ooh, piece of candy. Uh, Batman and Robin hear the news of the guards at Wayne Enterprises and the trouble at Blackgate. Batman makes a judgement call, and they speed over to the prison facility. Once there, they unpack the glider equipment from the car, but Robin bails out. Dick says, Man's gotta know his limitations rather than end up street pizza, and he takes to the skies alone. He swoops in as guards make an ill-fated attempt to move in, which results in them all being gunned down. The Batman drops out of the glider over the bell tower and takes the shooters down handily. To mix it up a little, he places a batarang over the spotlight. It has the desired effect and rattles the clientele. From there on in, Batman aids the guards in taking back to the prison, but the ringleader Tatum calls Batman out. Dick realises he needs to take this man down. Hard and publicly. Which he does. Dick decides enough. He needs to end this by taking out Two Face. This was a good one, this one. Yeah. I liked this one. Um, Harvey Kent lives at Finger Street, which was a nod to Bill Finger. The man largely regarded in the fan community as co creator of the Batman. Co creator. The, yeah, the general. There is this, this theory that. Bob Bill Finger 
appropriated a lot of the stuff that you think of as being Batman. And yes. Bob Kane came up with the original idea. So there is this theory that it's very similar to the Stan Lee Steve Ditko thing. Bill Finger was creating it on the creative side and Bob Kane was creating it on the business side. Pretty much. Well, that's, you know. Because Batman was just a business copy of Superman. Yeah. And Bob Kane had the intelligence to actually draft himself a contract. Yeah. So, I'd say I agree with what people say. And that maybe Bill Finger should get more credit well, yeah. than he does. Um, and certainly, I think he should be credited with creating the Joker, because I do think that was a Bill Finger creation. Mm-hmm. But Bob Kane did come up with the idea. Whether that idea was ultimately changed considerably, mm-hmm. he it created the idea, matter. and he had the brains to get that in writing and in a contract. You can't fault the guy for doing that. Yeah, He didn't end up shafted in the same way that Siegel and Schuster did. Because he had the intelligence to do that. It's, I can see both sides of the argument in that particular case. It's not like the, the Stanley Steve Ditko thing, where Stan is. So I think Stan's very. I am co creator of Spider Man with Steve Ditko. I don't see anything wrong with that. Why are you saying he's not? Uh, there's a lot of people who are very down on Stan yeah. for taking all the credit. And I think in, in recent years. Stan seems to have backed down on the taking all the credit thing and he's actually happy to share it. Because mm. certainly that documentary that we watched, the Stan Lee story, he, he was effusive in his praise for Kirby and Ditka. Yeah. So. But anyway, that's not what we're talking about. There is a two-page setup in this issue for what many consider to be the true climax of Nightfall, Troika. Which I suppose we will end up covering, won't we? Just yep. to wrap the whole thing up. That should only be one episode, though. Mm-hmm. It's only four issues, Troika, isn't it? Yeah. It's not a big, sprawling, epic story, though. Um, I don't know that I really bought Tim's fear here. Where he's like, no, I'm a bit scared of heights. I'm not going yeah, in the back glider. come out of the blue considering he swings around every yeah. night. And it's... Mm. Although I suppose there's a difference between grapples and gliders. Yeah, surely you have a better chance of surviving in a glider than yeah, swinging from a rooftop. It goes over the ocean. I'll see. Yeah. No, see, I'm, I'm on the fence with this. Um, I can see why they did it. They yeah. basically wanted to take Robin out of the story. Now, Batman handled this himself, didn't they? Mm-hmm. They didn't, but, but... The fear came out of the blue. It did, it did see... If, if they'd already established Tim had had a fear of heights and overcome it, but suddenly he was like, oh, relapse, then all right. But this, yeah, it felt forced. Yeah. And just a a pretty bad excuse for keeping Robin out of the action. Because this is where Dick becomes Batman, isn't it? When he takes down the prison guards, the prison guards, sorry, the prison rioters. This is when he is Batman. And this is when he truly takes up the mantle. Could they not have just said, "Mm, Tim had to do homework? Yeah. <laughs> that would have worked, it's wouldn't better, it? Yeah, yeah this, this felt a bit, you know... Yeah, it didn't ruin it for me. It didn't take me out of the story, but I felt like it was forced. I do love the pages towards the, the, the last half of the book, the last third of the book, where Batman systematically takes down all the towers and the occupants, and how, for the majority of this, he's only seen in shadow throughout most of the jailhouse takedown, until he publicly decides to take down the ringleader which he does very deliberately he's, he's very much this guy needs to be taken down publicly isn't he yeah 
and they need to see me they need to see what I'm doing because once I cut the head off the snake the rest of the body will wither and die mm. and he very deliberately takes that plan and it does lead to the great scene on page 21 and 22 where 21 is another silent fight scene where he just kicks that crap out of Tatum and then there's a brilliant scene on page 22 where in the middle of giving his, his speech the fun's over drop your weapons and return to your cells any man who forces me to deal with him personally and he chucks a batarang at a guy's face who's aiming a gun at him and hits him on the head without even looking at him because mm-hmm. he's the goddamn because he's the goddamn batman and then he carries on I swear that man will regret it and then I really do think this is where Dick Grayson became batman and it's really it's, it's a good like issue this artwork makes him look more old and yeah well that's Brett Blevins though isn't it yeah. we've mentioned before that Brett Blevins is a perfectly competent artist he's just not to my tastes his two face is suitably icky mm. but there's just mm. he has a bit of a Kirby feel yeah but I like mm. yeah I like Kirby so I don't know I don't maybe Kirby's just not suited to Batman what That's, do you think did he ever draw Batman I think he drew him in the Superpowers series. Right. And was he, he He never did a fourth world appearance Batman, did he? I don't think so. So I don't think he would have been in it. Unless he got shot by Darkseid. <laughs> Unless he beat Darkseid because he's Batman. <laughs> um, I thought this was a great issue, for the most part. Uh, more of Alan Grant's psychological explorations of the characters. Here, with the balance between all things being a potent subtext, we finally see Dick truly become the Batman in this issue. He takes charge, uses fear and psychology as a primary weapon and disappears and reappears in the shadows as needed. He makes no bones about taking people down hard and fast and with the minimum of fuss and yet when a public spectacle is needed he provides it. He shows compassion towards Tim letting him sit this one out and having finally become the Batman decides he's ready to take down Two-Face proactively. There's some lovely continuity with Nightfall with Murkrow still being a politician and Gordon's marriage collapsing under the weight of managing the city a good turning point issue that sets up the last half of the story what did you think? I enjoyed it more than some of the other ones but again it feels like another filler no see I didn't get filler from this one because to me this is what he becomes Yeah. prior to this he's taken on the costume but he's not being the Batman. In this issue, he becomes Batman. Which makes one of the story points in a later issue ring hollow. Where he's like, no, I don't want to do it. Yeah. All of a sudden he goes back to, no, I don't want to do it. This isn't me. This isn't my calling. Yeah. Whereas here, he's definitely Batman. And I I get that story beat, because ultimately that's where they head with it, that Dick isn't as driven as Bruce. So he can't be the Batman but when they haven't become the Batman and then but, back yeah. out but in this issue he takes the role on fully mm. so I thought this was a really I good one Riot although it just came out of nowhere no see again they've been set if you've read I read most of these back to back because originally we were going to do it as two-ish episodes so I've read, more, I've read them all by now yeah. and I read them all in quick succession and the build up to the city just spilling over yeah, boiling well, I got over that, but this guy's just like right you know what? I think we should have a riot today. See, I didn't get that. I got the... Because they, they have set up that the prisons are all overflowing. Yeah. Because they've not got Arkham. Hmm. And I got that this guy is just... He's an opportunist. 
So this this uh, like in a prison for the criminally insane has just become a prison, and without that prison, the actual prison for normal criminals. Yeah, he's is, been overrun. Yeah. Plus, Two Face has bollocked up the system, mm-hmm. so people are getting sent to prison that maybe wouldn't have been sent to prison. They may have just got a suspended sentence, yeah. or they may have got a slap on the wrist and a fine. And he's getting people sent to prison through faffing around with the computer system that maybe won't be there. Mm-hmm. So he's deliberately manufacturing this situation as well, which again is something that has been set up. So I, I, I perfectly bought all of that. I didn't think that came out of nowhere. Certainly not as much as Robin's sudden fear of heights. Well, yeah. Which I did feel came out of nowhere. There's a couple of good ads in this one as well. Judge Dread Legend of the Law apparently started at DC Comics. By John Wagner and Alan Grant, Brent Anderson and Jimmy Pamiati. I've never read any American Judge Dredd comics, but they're written by the guys who created him, so... Must be good. I presume they're okay. And there's an excellent advert for Sergeant Rock special. All new tales by Chuck Dixon, Eduardo Barreto, Howard Chaykin, Russ Heath and Graham Nolan. Oh, am I reading that? That's a pretty, pretty stellar creative team right there. Um... There's no other... Oh, here's an advert for Star Trek The Next Generation Shadowheart, which is a miniseries about Worf and his brother. Back from when DC Comics had the Star Trek licence and the Judge Dredd licence. But other than that... Oh, an interview with the vampire was out. Starring Tom Cruise. Uh, Detective Comics 680 House Prodigal Part 7, written by Chuck Dixon, without by Lee Weeks, Graham Nolan and Joe Rubenstein. Adrian Roy coloured again and does an excellent job. John Costanza lettered. Darren Vincenzo was the associate editor. Scott Peterson was the editor. Subtitled A Twice Told Tale, the cover has Robin all in bondage at Two Faces' feet whilst he opens fire with what looks like two Uzis at the Batman who leaps for cover as the bullets tear his cape. Pretty good. Lee Weeks bringing his all, but we had pretty much the same cover two issues ago, but with Robin being the one being fired at. And there's and enough it, distance in this one for Batman to not get... There is enough... Yes, I'll give you that. There's enough distance in this one for Batman to be able to avoid it. Yeah. If anyone can truly dodge out of the way of Uzi fire. Yeah. Which I'm not convinced of, to be honest with you, but I'll, I'll, I'll let that slide. He is the goddamn Batman. The Batman... Oh, sorry, messed up. The story for this one goes, whilst the Batman patrols the streets, Two-Face rebels in the chaos. The simple act of one piece of incorrect paperwork has wrought havoc on Gotham City, and he plans more. Robin asks Barbara Gordon, a.k.a. Oracle, what she thinks is Two-Face's agenda, and she figures out that the only place he hasn't hit yet is the Hall of Records, which is still in the Stone Age as far as computerising its systems. Robin heads out to check on it, but like any responsible teenager, he lets Batman know where he's going. With Gordon on the outs with his wife, Sarah Essen, he calls Barbara to see what's shaking, whilst the Batman takes down another jailbreak, this time from the Clue Master, who busts loose from his temporary cell in a high school gym. The Batman receives a message from Robin about Two-Face's probable location, and Robin promises to stay out of trouble. It's a promise he can't keep, as Two-Face already has him tied up with Harvey Kent, and is threatening to crush the Boy Wonder under 2,000 tonnes of paperwork. The Batman kills the lights and removes both of Two-Face's gangs from the playing field, and changes the rules of the game. Given how Dick doesn't believe in a no-win situation, he changes the conditions of the test, saving both Kent and Robin, and bringing Two-Face down in the process. He just doesn't like to lose. 
outside, Two-Face is carted off as Dick acknowledges he's just starting to enjoy being the Batman. Such a shame it's a part-time gig. The art in this one is exceptional. Yes, I thought the art was good. It's fantastic in this one, isn't it? Lee Weeks and Graham Nolan are credited, but this just looks like pure Lee Weeks to me. I didn't see any Graham Nolan in this. Maybe he just did rough layouts. Yeah. I didn't see any Graham Nolan in this. Particularly in the very David Mazzuccielli esque two page splash on pages two and three yeah, that is it on its good. side. I thought it looked quite Miller. Yeah, it's Miller. I get more Mazzuccielli than Miller, but essentially it's, you know. Yeah. The two are linked together because of Batman Year One and Born Again. Mm-hmm. So that's fair enough. But it's an awesome splash page. I love it when they do stuff like that, when you have to turn the comic on its side to really get a good look at it. It's a really good use of the page, and especially there's no borders on it, so it's a full two-page piece of art. It's fantastic. Um, I didn't like that Commissioner Gordon phoned Barbara, obviously troubled. And Barbara just... And Barbara just blows him off for purposes of plot. Wow, daughter of the year. Uh, I, that felt a bit out of character to me and Tim says bollocksing as in bollocksing up uh, but it's spelt wrong now I don't know whether it was spelt wrong to avoid the comics code Yeah. but I can't see how that would have affected anything because it's not a very well known swear word in America I was going to say is it is it, does it mean the same to them? As yeah, bo- bollocksing up is is an American. There is um, an American derivation of it that is used in a few places. In one of the Han Solo novels that Brian Daly wrote, mm-hmm. around seventy nine ish, he has a robot called Bollocks, and it's spelt like that. It's spelt with an X. Just because he could. Just because Brian Daly was British. Yeah. And so in America, no, over here, they changed it to Zollocks. <laughs> so they changed his name because over here you were like uh, we know what you're trying to do here Mr. Daly we're not having none of it but in America an American That's copy it. of that book yeah. the the droid's name is Bollocks which is hysterical <laughs> my copy's obviously the British one so yeah unfortunately I keep oh, every time we go to America I try and find an American copy and I always forget just to have a look through and then have a schoolboy laugh <laughs> called the robot Bollocks because it is funny. Yes. I'm the sorry. Here is very cold, sir, said Bollocks. <laughs> yeah, I just wouldn't be able to take it seriously while you're reading it, would you? No. Between pearl necklaces and bollocks, <laughs> just, it, just, it just wouldn't happen. Next thing you know, I'm calling everybody a wanker. <laughs> <laughs> Talk Chuck Dixon sneaking in a swear word. Um, nice to see the Clue Master again. Yeah. Nice to see he's still crap. Yeah. He's still a D-lister all the way, isn't he? But... I do like that he's a D-lister that they don't just make a joke out of. Yeah. He's a crap villain. But he's no he's contest, well. but he's used very well, yeah. And, you know, Mark Miller would have just eviscerated his character, wouldn't he? Or at the very least made him gay now. Yeah. That's what he would have done to him, because <laughs> yeah. it's Mark Miller. Or he would have had him been raped in prison, <laughs> because it's Mark Miller. Yeah, all new rapey DC. Um, the first half of this book, while it's still good, is essentially stuff we've seen already. We recap Gordon's marriage problems and his issue with Batman. Two Face commits crimes. Batman's stemming the tide. But the latter half is where it all kicks off, and it's exceptionally well done. I loved that we don't see how Robin is caught by Two Face. Mm. 
he just is. He says, don't worry, I won't get into trouble. And then the next thing we see, he's been caught and tied up. Yeah. I really liked that. I know there are people who be like, oh, we should have seen him get caught. No, we don't need like to. the comedic effect. Yeah. The comedic effect of I won't get in trouble. Oh, no, yes, no, you no, will. No, wah, no. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah, and it's, it's brilliant. It's really, really well done. Uh, I loved the juxtaposition between the first time Dick was in a situation like this in which a man died and this time where he borrows a few tricks from James T. Kirk and changes the rules of the test that we have been playing saving both Kent and Robin and best of all Two-Face gets taken out yeah but I thought what Batman did would have caused more damage than what would have actually happened it is he rams a forklift truck into the both of them it is very James Bond in its over-the-topness. Yeah. I'll give you that. But he's just killed Kirk or Kent. Harvey Kent. Yeah. He's just killed him, though. He does look like he rams the forklift truck into the purr of them. Yeah. But, but fortunately, it doesn't seem to hurt either of them, so that's okay. Yes. <laughs> um, I did have horrible visions of Two-Face being the bad guy for the entire 12-part arc, hmm. which I have to say was getting old. Yeah. And repetitive at this point, wasn't it? It was turned into another carnage. Yeah, it was turned into another carnage. Taking out, ostensibly, the lead bad guy of the storyline halfway through was an exceptionally interesting storytelling device, leaving the remaining parts of the story at this point to be very unpredictable. Yeah. Because you didn't know what was coming up next now, because it's like, oh, he's took out Two-Face. Mm. There's a part of me that wishes they hadn't numbered it Prodigal 1 through 12. Because at this point, yeah, and you'd be like, well, maybe Dick Grayson's going to be Batman for a while, which I could have lived with. I think that would have been great, because he's not saddled with bloody um, Damien in these stories. (laughs) Did you like that one? I did, but that that ending, I was kind of like, well, that seems a bit silly. What, just him ramming the (laughs) forklift truck into the two of them? Yeah. It was very Bond, so I heard John Barry's score in the background. It's it's all right if you come out with a broken ribcage. Yes. You're not dead, so... You're going to be fine. Yeah. Um, Last one for tonight. Again, apologies, but you've had lots of work to do. I do. He was doing coursework till 11 o'clock last night, so fair play to the lad. And then I had to finish up notes. And then you had to... Well, I wouldn't say that you finished up notes, given your contribution today. (laughs) This, there's not much to say on these, really. I'm loving this. Yeah, but even you've not, not had much to say. I've not had a lot to say. That's the problem that you have, that when you really like something and something's quite good, you don't have a lot to say about it. But I don't want to be relentlessly picking something that's cack. Yeah. But this is really, really good. I'm really enjoying Prodigal. And although I've not read Grant Morrison's Batman, most of it. Mm. There's a lot of this which seems very same. Like, um, Two-Face finding out that Dick Grayson was Batman, which Judd Winnick did. Did he? Yeah, recently. Right. In Battle for the Cowl. See, that's I'm, I can't see how the newer take on this is better than this. Yeah. But I haven't read it, so it's a judgment I will I will refrain from making until I have actually read all of that stuff. Because mm-hmm. I am interested in reading the Dick Grayson as Batman stuff, because the, the, I like Dick Grayson. The Morrison Absolute. Yeah. I am interested in that, but I, I have a hard time wading through Damien. Well, you enjoyed that one. I enjoyed too, Batman 700 a great deal. Did you not enjoy Batman and Robin 1? When did I read Batman and Robin 1? The same show. Was it? Yeah, the Frank Quitley one. Oh, yes! Yeah! No, because I didn't like it. Yeah! Mm. Do you know I don't remember? Yeah. I wanted to say yes and then I wanted to say no and I don't remember what I thought of it. Which, in and of itself, says something. Fair enough. Well, the art keeps changing, so you can't complain about the art. 
It's a different artist for every three issue story arc. Right, okay, well, I'll probably give that a go then. Mm. Um, when that comes out, obviously. It's been delayed till February. Yep. Despite you wanting it for Christmas. D- despite it saying it was coming out for Christmas. Yeah, well, that's not going to happen, I'm afraid. Um, Robin 12 came out on November 1st, 1994. It's nearly two decades <laughs> ago. Yeah. The cover, by Tom Grummet and Ray Kreising, has young Tim Drake taking a fist to the face by two grunge-looking dudes. Was the 90s. We're going to call them Kurt and Eddie throughout the entire issue. Well, Timmy and Timbo. <laughs> Why Timmy and Timbo? Because that's what they keep calling Tim in the issue. Oh, right. Okay, fair enough. Um, got annoying so fast. Well, you know, he, he gives them a piece of his own mind. A symbolic Robin hovers in the background as if to say, Kick that little snot's ass! It's very Spider-Man, yeah, isn't it? It's very 1960s Spider-Man, and uh, it's uh, it's it's good. It's it's well done. It's very colourful. It's very bright. Bit too Spider-Man for me. Okay. Not that I don't love well, Spider-Man. Was Robin not the Spider-Man of DC? Um, yeah, see, they did they did do a good job, didn't they, of making this like a Spider-Man book? But okay, Bullies was written by Chuck Dixon with art by Phil Jimenez. Inks by John Stokes, coloured by Adrian Roy again, uh, lettered by Albert de Guzman, lettered, lettered by Albert de Guzman twice, because I can't read. Jordan B. Garfinkel was assistant editor, and Denny O'Neill was the editor. Tim is at the movies with Ariana when two grungy teens in the audience are not obeying the cinema code of conduct. Tim tells them to keep it down and is rewarded. Crazy hippies. Crazy hippies. And <laughs> my lord and is rewarded with a heavily soda streamed coke to the face Tim's adrenaline flowing squirts Tim adrenaline flowing squirts up to them but Ariana holds him back on the way out of the cinema however Kurt and Eddie are waiting for him proceed to beat on our erstwhile boy wonder Tim takes the punches and rolls with the blows afraid to give away his ID fortunately a copper shows up and Kurt and Eddie flee Tim takes Ariana home where she kisses him oddly it doesn't make him feel better in the cave, Dick asks Tim if he wants to go out for payback. Tim admits that's part of it, and Dick says okay, as both don the cape and leave. Not the same cape, obviously. Two different capes. The night helps a little, but Tim still feels low. Robin can kick ass all night, but that doesn't help Tim Drake. Dick notes that Tim never takes the easy way out. Or the shortcut home. Okay. Because there's no easy. Way out. No easy. No easy way out. Okay. Happy birthday, Polly. <laughs> you ever read these comics? Oh, we got to give him a robot. Yeah. I don't know where I'm up to my Rival nations. It's a primitive fight. <laughs> Many years of cessation. It was cessation. I don't know. <laughs> Hope against all hope. I forgot where I'm up to now. Uh, anyway, um, Tim's dad doesn't give Tim the easy option either. Turns out he's ordered a gym worth of equipment and a personal trainer that looks like Carmen Electra, which, when Tim relates the story to Dick later, makes Dick eager to visit the Drakes. I wonder why. Over at Ariana's, some punks are threatening Ariana's father with a plot from an old episode of the A-Team. Yes, it's the protection racket scam. Mr. Derechenko refuses to pay and they bust a few windows to show that they mean business. Also meaning business is John Hannibal Smith. 
Oh no, sorry, I went into the, the taxi cab walls. Also meaning business is Tim Drake on his way over to the Dechenskos. I can't pronounce this name. I've changed the spelling in my notes. I don't know which is the proper one anymore. I am just going to call him Mr. Kuriaki. To see Ariana where he comes across Kurt and Eddie again. This time, with no witnesses, the outcome to the fight's a little different, with Tim handling Kirk... With Tim handing Kurt and Eddie their heads, he reaches Ariana and vows that Robin may have to intervene. Eddie the head is the mascot of Iron Man, isn't he? Is it? Yeah. yeah. Across town, the Troika meet, and it looks like trouble for Batman and Robin. Isn't it the KG Beast? It is the KG Beast, yes. Yeah. Did you remember the KG Beast? I do, yeah. Because on the one hand... That KGB storyline is fondly remembered. Didn't Batman lock him in a basement somewhere without any food or water? I think so, but it's been a long time since I remember that. Yeah. On the other, I think the KGB is such a campy name. It's, I think it's a cool it's, name. It's straight out of the Adam West TV KG show. KGB. Yeah, you can just see Burt Ward going, KGB. KGB. Holy. And then insert holy pun here. Yeah, those reds, those KGB. Wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> Holy red scare, Batman! And it's... KG Beast is a stupid name. I like it. Yeah. It's not as campy as his costume. His costume's not campy in this one. Oh, which story arc was it? Um, near Death of the Family? Where yeah, it was Ten Nights of the Beast. Yeah, where it was just yeah. a guy in a gimp costume. Yeah, whereas they've changed his costume for this, haven't they? Yeah. And he doesn't look quite as, um... As, um... He looks like an inverted Deadpool. Yes, he does. He doesn't look quite as... Bring out the gimp! <laughs> does he? Gimp's asleep. <laughs> oh, dear me. Do I get to be Bruce Willis if you're um, the other guy whose name I've forgotten? Which other guy? Zed? Zed's dead's baby? No, it's still the guy, isn't it? Yeah. It's the guy who owes money, isn't he? And yeah, Bruce Willis owes money to Zed. Yeah. Because he took out his soul or something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. But I can't remember who played Zed. Was it the Kingpin? Was it Michael Clark Duncan? It might have been. Or was it, um... No, it's oh, the guy God, from Mission Impossible movies. Bad joke. I was just saying, in which case, Zed is dead. Oh, dear. Um, no, it's not. It's the guy from... It's not Michael Clark Duncan. It's Ving Rhames. Okay. It's Ving Rhames, not Michael Clark Duncan. Did you know? Yes. What's his face in Pulp Fiction? Long hair, killed by pop tarts on the toilet. Oh, John Travolta. John Travolta. He is brothers with one of the guys in Re- Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, Michael Madsen's character. Was it Michael Madsen's character? Yeah. Right. Because they were talking about doing a film, The Vega Brothers, with the power of them. But they decided not to. Because Michael Madsen killed me. Because he was like, I didn't see how we could do that because we both end up dead. It would obviously take place before you were dead! <laughs> Jeez, I don't expect actors to be that smart, but, you know, you could work that out. Can we do this film if we're both dead? <laughs> well, here's a wacky idea. Given that none of Tarantino's films work in a chronological order, perhaps it will be set before you die. None of the movies work in a chronological order of the movies. They all take place in different times. Yeah, in so, do you know? Do you think that's possible? Yeah. I mean, I think it's too late now. They're both too old and fat to do it. <laughs> Um, page one, although John Tra- have you seen what John Travolta's up to for Christmas? I have not. He's reunited with Olivia Neutron Bomb to do a Christmas album. Okay. I'm sure there'll be a couple of Grease songs on the <laughs> Go Grease Lightning, you're burning down the 409. Grease Lightning, oh, Grease Lightning. Okay. Pants were too tight. 
whether yeah. well when he's that fat <laughs> so uh, that's that's going to be under the tree this year we're going to listen to that and the Star Wars Christmas album the Star Wars Christmas album I think we'll listen to the Star Wars Christmas album anywhere but there's no way in hell I'm listening to John Travolta can't wait I can barely barely contain my euphoria yes anyway this comic that we're supposed to be talking yes. about uh, page one what's the Punisher doing here it's a movie it's a movie! It is the Punisher, though, that, isn't it? Yes, I, I, it's totally... I read your notes and then looked down and I was like, what? Oh, 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 yeah. It's totally the Punisher on page one. Well, it looks like the type of film, anyway. It does look like it's a Punisher type. Maybe in the DC Universe, Marvel is... Um, a bunch of movies. A bunch of movies, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Much like our universe. Yeah. <laughs> Where DC characters can't get a look in. Yeah. It's entirely possible. Uh, page four. I have to say... I never understood this kind of scene in books other than Spider-Man. Peter Parker had a bit of a rep of being a wimp before being bitten by the spider, so it made sense that he would maintain that ruse Mm. after he got his Spider-Man powers. Although Peter did become a lot more mouthy and willing to stand up to Flash as the series went on. Tim, however, had no rep as a wimp. Yeah. He's a bit of a geek at school, but moderately popular. And I don't remember him being bullied. I could be wrong, but I don't remember it. Also, these guys are A, strangers. So he's yeah. never going to run into them again. And two, see what I did there? Yeah. They deserve it. Yeah. I'm sorry, but these two deserve a kicking. Timmy and Timbo. Yeah, oh, Kurt and Eddie. Give him a kicking. They see? So they, de- they totally deserve a bit of the old one two from Robin. That and surely you get extra brownie points for Mariano. Yeah, you give him a punch in the yeah, face. Yeah, I mean, even if he just made a decent showing of himself, yeah. that even if he lets himself get beaten, mm. the two of them walk away with a black eye. Yeah, I, I could have lived with that, but this isn't a situation where this is a random event. These kids waited for him mm. to come out of the cinema and jumped in. He, and especially when you consider that on the very next page a cop conveniently shows up yeah it's a clear cut case of self defence that Tim would give them a kick in mm-hmm. now I know in real life violence begets violence and in a real street brawl there was a story not long ago I think it was last Christmas of one guy having one punch to the head round town last Christmas and it killed him so I know that in a real street blight, a real street brawl, one punch can render somebody brain dead. But in a situation like this, in a comic book, where Tim is attacked premeditatively, it's premeditated attack. They wait in the alleyway by the side of the cinema to jump him. Yep. There's no ambiguity there. Surely, a can of to... moderate war pass. Yeah. Is suitable. Especially when one of them pushes your girlfriend to the ground. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but at the very least, I would have I would have punched him in the nose for that. But, you know, maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm just not a peace-loving hippie. <laughs> Whereas I should be, I suppose, shouldn't I? Yeah. Give peas a chance. But I don't like peas. <laughs> Come out in a rash if I eat peas. Actually, it was beans, wasn't it? Was it? Yeah. Uh, page seven... Jimenez's version of the Batcave is fantastic, despite the curvy shoulders on Batman, which is an artistic touch that never did anything for me, and Star Trek floor. 
Yeah. Were, if you watched an old episode of Star Trek, any old episode of Star Trek from the original series, the floors in the caves, perfectly flat. And uh, stones in the shapes of bodily parts. No, they're not. Do you not remember that one episode? Oh, was there what a big cock sticking out yeah. the floor? I don't remember. He actually picks it up and is going to hit the guy with it. Oh, yes, yes, I remember that. I don't remember which episode it was. It was one of some giant monster with a big brow. <laughs> I don't remember which episode it was. I have failed you. Mm. I've, I'm, I'm sorry I've disappointed if you. If we could quote it, Nathan Fillion could tell us what it was. Nathan Fillion only knows Next Generation, dude. Really? In a geek contest between me and Fillion over original Trek, I would kick his ass. <laughs> sorry, but... He's pudgy anyway. If, Nathan, if Nathan's listening and he wants to get in, in touch, and we'll have him on the show for that very... You can do the questions. Can I? So it's all fair and above board. Okay. Um... <laughs> We've gone off topic again. Uh, what is interesting in this scene in the cave is Dick asks Tim if going out tonight as Robin is a way of getting payback. And Tim replies honestly, yeah, yes it is. Mm-hmm. And I quite liked that. The interesting part here is Dick just saying okay. Whereas if it was Bruce, he'd be yeah. like, oh, you can't do that. Uh. Yeah, Bruce would have made him stay in the cave, yeah. wouldn't he? Whereas Dick was, yeah, all right, fair enough. <laughs> I can understand this. I, I, can, I can live with this. Because um, he needs, he, he recognises Tim's need to let off some steam. Uh, what's notable is Tim knowing that Dick's letting him out to do this, but Dick's keeping an eye on him yeah. to make sure he doesn't go over the edge. Um, sometimes you just got to give people a leash. And this really says a lot about Dick's character, that he would make an exceptional purge. Page 8 is a fantastic shot of the Batmobile. Yes. And I do like that since Zero Hour, they've been using the old Bob, Bob Kane, Bill Finger Batmobile. Yeah. Ostensibly, because the Batmobile got blew up at the end of Night's Yes, it did. Quest? Or Night's End? It was... Was night. it night, the end of Night's End? Was it, the end of night? it was the end of Night's End, wasn't it? No, it was the end of Night's Quest, wasn't it? It was on it? the bridge. Yes, it was on the, when the car mysteriously showed up at the bridge for no reason. Yeah. And then it got blown up. So that was Night's End. During the it? fight with Erwolf. Yeah, that was Night's End. So, ostensibly, they're using this old Batmobile because of that. Mm. But I, I actually thought it was a zero-hour change until yeah. I remembered that. But fair enough. Either I way... That Batmobile looks great. And it does look like that panel out of Killing Joke. Yes, it does. That's that's uh, Was Killing Joke before this? Oh, no, because yeah. Barbara's in the in the wheelchair at this yeah. point, isn't so she? It, it does look very Bolland. Yeah. it's an, I like that Batmobile. I think that Batmobile's cool. My only problem with that is, being an older Batmobile, it probably wouldn't be able to keep up with racing cars of the day. Yeah. But they don't really use it for Unless that, do they? it's a Batman car, in which case it can do anything. Yeah, because it's the goddamn Batmobile. Yeah. <laughs> um... Pages 9 through 10 is another fantastic two-page spread of B&R on patrol. Again, I hate the cape on Batman. Mm-hmm. I really don't like that at all. But other than that, that's an exceptional piece of work. I really do like it. It's a fantastic piece of art. And page 11, once again, in a few short... Sword, okay. Once again, in a few short word balloons, Dixon cuts to the heart of the character. Robin explains that whilst this has helped a little, Tim Drake still looks like a weed in front of his girlfriend. Little weed! Dick understands. He says it can't be easy on Bruce affecting his Bertie Wooster act all the time. For some reason, he refers to him as Bernie Wooster in an obvious bit of post-production alteration. Can you see that? They've obviously changed the N and the I there. Yeah. Why would they do that? Surely referring to somebody's name isn't an infringement of copyright. I'm sure that PG Woodhouse wouldn't have minded that, 
given that he's dead. Maybe they panicked and said, oh, maybe, maybe we should change it just to be sure. So it means that Dick's the second world's greatest detective, but he doesn't know that his name's Bertie Wooster. Yeah. That's a bit stupid, isn't it? Um, that would make Alfred Jeeves, wouldn't it? Yeah. Which? Stephen Fry would make a pretty good Alfred. Okay. Do you know what I think? He could, if we're, if we're going along the lines of that, Alfred's British. Oh, Alfred is British. Alfred is British. Well done. Keep right. up. Yeah, no, it's like, no, it's like John Constantine. I know he's British, but I still read him as an American. Do you? Yeah. No, I always read Alfred as British. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Yes, he always was British, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, it's not something that they've added later on. Yes. So, yes. And Hugh Grant. Not Hugh Grant. Um, I was going to say Who played Alfred. Bertie Wooster? He, he was house for 25 years. Um, oh, Hugh, Hugh Laurie. Laurie. Hugh Laurie could totally be an older Batman if they did Dark Knight Returns yeah. as a movie, couldn't he? Because he, he's got everyone fooled into thinking he really is an American. Yeah. So he could totally pull that off. And Stephen Fry could be Alfred, and that would be the awesome. <laughs> or I think it would be. Yeah. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. Um, he mentions that he never really developed a different persona as either Dick Grayson or his various alter egos, although clearly he's a different person when he's Batman. Yeah. Phil Jimenez seems to draw Michael Keaton's mouth in this when he draws Batman as well. Um, it does explain so much about Dick's character, and it's an excellent but small piece of character work that explains why he's just so well-balanced. Nightwing and Robin, when he was Robin, are just extensions of himself. There's no pretense with Dick Grayson. It's so subtle and so obvious, but just so well-written in just a few short word, word balloons. Well done. Mr. Dixon. Um, page 12. Tim's dad obviously takes a leaf from Lois Lane's book and drinks orange juice freshly squeezed. I know, I know. Yeah, well, Eggs Benedict and freshly squeezed orange juice, which made me wet myself laughing when I read this because I just recently read Widening Gaia. So after that ending... Why? Well, Bruce is all happy and he's with Silver St. Cloud. And he's and like, eating eggs, Benedict and orange and juice. And it's like, what's Alfred making? Eggs, Benedict and orange juice? Mm, that sounds good. Snits. Oh, yeah. Is he ever going to finish the widening guy? I think he started the scripts. DC said he's, he's writing it. How is this going to fit into the new 52, then? <laughs> or is it just not now? No, probably not. Okay, fair enough. Very, very good. Uh, page 17. The scene with Tim's dad is a nice little comedy beat that leads to a great gag on this page. Tim is off to Ari's and muses that his dad is shattered from the workout. I think it's eye strain. Note to Tim. Um, which really made me laugh out loud when I was reading this. Yeah. He's not worn out from the exercise, he's worn out from looking at her. Mm. Which is fair enough, I suppose. Um, and it was quite embarrassing laughing out loud at this because I did these notes at work. <laughs> page 18. Not quite as funny as this page. Tim comes across Eddie and Kurt again and the evil grin he gets at the top of that page when he realises there are no witnesses. The evil grin of I'm going to enjoy this. Yeah, the evil grin of I am just going to soak it your ass. And he knees him in the crotch. Yeah. Which is a fantastic move, I thought. Take him down quick and easy, Timbo. Um, I thought this was a great issue. I really did. Very much a fill-in after the events with Two-Face but despite another isn't Dick more than capable of looking after himself see this hurts the story not at all the art's great Dixon shows once again how good a grasp of character he has and it rattles along exceptionally well we even get a full page splash of the KG Beast 
in another KG Bird in another issue of Robin, which is a major <coughs> moment in the Bat Books. Yeah, which is going to continue into Troika. Although Robin is part of Troika, isn't it? I don't know. It should be because if it's in Batman, Shadow, Detective, and Robin, because it doesn't go into Legends of the Dark Knight. No. So it must be an issue of Robin. And we're going to have to call it a day, though. Which is a shame, because Prodigal was just doing very, very well. Next time on an all-new episode, we will be covering the final four chapters of Prodigal. We hope you're enjoying it thus far. Um, After that, it's going to be Christmas. We we, we have a couple of uh, irons in the fire for Christmas. And then we change networks. Yes. As you heard in the bumper at the beginning of the show. Is it official then? It's official. I've still not heard this bumper. It's very good. Okay. You'll like it. I'll take your word for this. Okay, okay. You'll hear it when you listen to the show. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, do amuse me. Yeah. Mm. All right, we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Says, uh, the devil will make work for idle hands to do production and all opinions expressed in the show by Michael and Andrew are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and probably not to be taken too seriously old episodes of the show can now be found on the Two True Freaks internet radio network at www.twotruefreaks.libson.com that's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot Libson L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com so if you're one of those people who'd be wanting to know where all our old shows are that's where you'll find them. All music and sound clips used in the show are copyright the respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended Michael and Andrew make no money from this, much to their chagrin. New episodes drop every Thursday, currently at aplayland.podomatic.com, but you can also listen through our Facebook page, which you can friend us on by using Hey Kids as the first name and Comics as the surname. You can also listen on our website, where you can also view the covers of the comics that we've covered this week. That's www.heykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com. If you have an opinion or opinions, you can email us on heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. We also have a forum, www.forumforgeeks, all one word, .com, where you can drop by and say hello if you're allergic to email. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics. <laughs> <laughs>